Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for using us even in small ways. And Lord, we pray your support and encouragement on the Evanses right now. Um, Lord, that you would work out all the details with the visas and, and uh, the education of their kids. Lord, thank you for letting us be a part of that. And Lord, I think of Ruth Carlson as well. Um, in places where there's some unknowns, as I understand. And Lord, I just pray that you would work out the details, go before her, protect her, encourage her, and give her uh, things that she can jump into with both feet and use that enthusiasm. Lord, I thank you for this class, and then I'm back in it for <laughs> after being gone a few weeks. Lord, would you be with uh, Dave? Thank you that he's here and not in somewhere back east. Um, Lord, would you bless it today? Would you bless your word? Would you bless us as we serve you? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, um, I thank you for reading that. I, I knew that my eyes leak sometimes, so I would have trouble reading that too. That's why I picked on you. Uh, let's go to 102nd Psalm. And whoever gets there first can just start reading it. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry be upon you. Do not harm your face from you when I'm in distress. Turn your ear to you. I call out and answer you quickly. For my name is vanished like smoke, my bones burn like holy embers. My heart is blighted and withered like grass. My food. Because of my love growing, I'm reduced to skin and bones. I am. Like a desert owl, like an owl among the ruins. I lie awake and I have become like a bird among the ruins. All day long my enemies haunt me. Those who rail against me use my name as a curse. For I eat ashes of my food and mingle my drink with tears because of your great wrath. For you have taken me up and thrown me aside. My days are like the evening shadow, and they are like grass. But you, O Lord, sit in front of forever. Your renowned viewers of all generations, you know the Lord have compassion on Zion, or it is time to show, show favor to her. The appointed time has come. For her stones are dear to her service, her very dust moves them to pity. The nations will fear the name of the Lord, all the kings of the earth will revere your glory. So the Lord will rebuild Zion and appear in his glory. He will respond to the prayer of the destitute. He will not despise the plea. Let this be written for a future generation that a people not yet created may praise the Lord. The Lord looked down from the sanctuary on high, from heaven he viewed the earth, to hear the groans of the prisoners and to release those condemned to death. So the name of the Lord will be declared in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem, and the peoples and the kingdoms assembled to worship the Lord. In the course of my life, he broke my strength, he cut short my days. So I said, Do not take me away, Lord. In my days, your years go on through all generations. In the beginning, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens of the earth in your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like clothing, and change them, and they will be discarded. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. The children of your servants will live in your presence, their descendants will be established before you. Amen. <coughs> 
So as we think about the unchangeable nature and character of God um, and our great need for Him, I, I think this is appropriate <clears throat> as we conclude our study in Hebrews. Um, so we've been been looking at Hebrews, and we're now at the point of Hebrews uh, where it's important to ask the question, so what? So when you uh, approach any portion of Scripture, there's basically three questions that you ask. What does it say? What does it mean? And so what? What's the application to me? Um, how does this affect my life? And so we're now at the point in uh, the message of Hebrews where the author turns uh, to the, the so what question. How now shall we live? And um, I've got some things on the board here. And I'll give you a, kind of a framework as we, we read through this. Um, this over here are just ideas of what we can study next, and we'll talk about that at the end. But when you look through chapter 13 of Hebrews, and he's coming to his, his uh, great conclusion of the sermon, he talks about us having an open house uh, that we should have uh, be generous and hospitable. He talks about us having an open heart that we should be compassionate. And he talks about us having open eyes that we should uh, understand the world that we live in, <clears throat> the economy of God, and that we should live as God commands in righteousness, that we should be moral. Um, I'll explain this other drawing here. This isn't a T. This is actually a cross. So I could use C for Christ, but I uh, thought I'd use a cross this morning. So let's go ahead and read through uh, chapter 13 of Hebrews. Then I can say that we're officially at the end, and then we can talk about it. <laughs> the, the author here says, chapter 13, verse 1, <clears throat> Let love of the brethren continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them, and those who are ill-treated, since you yourselves also are, also are in the body. Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled, for fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, through which those who were so occupied were not benefited. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. 
So let us go out to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the first, the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Pray for us. For we are sure that we have a good conscience, desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. And I urge you all the more to do this, so that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. But I urge you, brethren, bear with this word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. Take notice that our brother Timothy has take notice that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom, if he comes soon, I will see you. Greet all of your leaders and all of the saints. Those from Italy greet greet you. Grace be with you all. So as we read through here. Kind of the organization that uh, I see that he's he's put in his conclusion is that he begins with a, a discussion of uh, what I would say generosity and compassion and morality. It says, "Let us love. Let love of the brethren continue." That's talking about within the body. So, um, what Tim just shared about the Evans is letting love of the brethren continue. So we have a, a, a congregation, both a local congregation that we call the church, and there is a global congregation, which we call the church, um, that the church uh, is not defined by the walls that make up the structure, but by our um, communion with Christ in one body. And that's what he's talking about here. Let love of the brethren continue. That we should be actively working within the church to minister. And he says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. There he's talking about how we behave in the world. Not just within the church, but to the outside world. And does anybody know what this reference is? Some have entertained angels without knowing it. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. Abraham. So Abraham is sitting in his tent on a on a warm day, and he sees some folks passing by, and he opens up his tent to them. He uh, shows hospitality in greeting them and saying, "Hey, come in. I'll fix you a meal." Um, it turns out that these guys were on a mission from God, right? <laughs> You laugh, Daniel. Tell me the story. <laughs> yeah. There <laughs> you go. Yes, it is. <laughs> but these guys really were on a mission from God, and uh, and that they were going down to uh, Sodom and Gomorrah 
to bring God's judgment. And Abraham, in finding out who they are and what they're about doing, uh, intervenes. He says, but what if there is one righteous man? That's what it gets down to. Uh, his nephew Lot. And that Lot and his family are commanded to leave. Right? Um, but everybody else in that place was lost. That's the story that's being referenced here. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For by this, some have entertained angels without knowing it. So we don't know what the details are of the plan of God and how he's using different people. And I'm sure people that have been in this congregation can tell you stories of, of, of angels. I know that um, when I was in Russia, I believe there was a point where God intervened in order to protect myself and another missionary. Um, and that best I can tell is probably an angel. Looked like a guy to me, but he was there and then he was gone. And he did exactly the right thing and had complete control over the situation. It was amazing. Um, so I believe that God does intervene today and that he uh, asks us to keep our eyes open for that, to join him in that. And we do that through hospitality. We also are the witness to the world through our hospitality. <clears throat> he goes on and he talks about uh, remembering prisoners as though in prison with them. And those who are ill-treated, since you yourselves are also in the body. Again, this is looking around within the church and seeing where um, where suffering is, because suffering is part of this world and part of how we serve. And we need to be looking around uh, so that we can be uh, effective in ministry. We not need to be not looking so much at ourselves in our own situation, because we do that really well without any help. <laughs> So, and, uh, you know, I will be the first to tell you I'm, I get concerned because every once in a while I get kind of weary. Uh, and the Bible tells us don't grow weary in doing good. But what happens is if you get weary, um, you start not having the energy to look out. You start looking in. And then the next thing I know, I start whining. <laughs> and my whining leads, can lead to bitterness, which we know that bitterness is that thing that leads to unbelief. And that's, that's how we get derailed. Right? So if we're looking at how now shall we live, the most effective way to stay on, on uh, keeping your eyes on Jesus is to be looking out. Looking out within the body, looking out within the world to see, you know, identify the fingerprints of God and align yourself with that. And that that's what he's commanding us to do here. And when you look within your own family, he says marriage is to be held in honor among all. And the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Now, you remember in, in uh, the previous chapter, he said, uh, don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, because the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. It's a demonstration that you are a child of God, that God doesn't let you get away with what anything that you want. And we live in a world today where it's very, very common for people to not even really get civilly married, they just live together, which is a form of, of marriage. And in fact, even the civil uh, courts will recognize that in what they call a, a, common a common law marriage, right? So they recognize that when people are behaving like this, that that's what's actually occurring. Uh, but we understand that that's not what God has commanded us to do. So for example, in, in marriage, I'll give you the, the three... Um, different perspectives in marriage. 
There is the theological perspective in marriage, which is what God designed for humanity. He designed people to be together um, as man and wife and within families and within communities, and that that's the way that he designed us to be. And when you go through the account in Genesis and you're looking at chapter 2 where it's drilled down on the creation of, of humanity, um, he gets to this point where he says, you know, it's not good for man to be alone, and he creates woman. And so we understand that, and, and Moses references this, and Jesus references this, he says, what God put together from the beginning, let not man put asunder, right? So we understand there's a theological perspective on marriage, that which God designed, that which he said is good and right, and that's the way it's supposed to be. Well, then there's a social understanding or perspective of marriage. And that's what we celebrate when people come together for a marriage ceremony at the church. You invite your friends and your family, and they witness uh, a sharing of vows, uh, a commitment to each other of two individuals as they become one, and that it's celebrated. It's a celebration. It's a social event. The social event does not make the marriage. God makes the marriage. The social event celebrates that which God created. And then there's a civil aspect of marriage, which the civil aspect is where you go down to the courthouse and you pay your uh, $100 or whatever it is today. I can't remember. Nice Pardon? Might be determinative if it's $100. Uh, it, it, yeah, it's probably uh, it's not, not that. that. It's probably like 35 bucks or something. I can't yeah, remember. remember. But you uh, get your marriage license, which allows you to be uh, entered civilly into a union that is then defined by law, civil law. Not, uh, not God's law, but a civil law. And uh, it's very cheap to enter into, very expensive to break. Uh, it's a, a kind of uh, civil arrangement. Now, what they are concerned with in marriage in the world today is the civil aspect. Uh, I recognized this, I mean, it just it was like a bright light coming on when I was listening to uh, one of the constructors of what they call the gay agenda. It started a long time ago. Um, this was an intentional um, program to change civil law and to change the norm of culture. And so what they did is in order to change civil law, they had to change the norm of culture. So you first saw this whole agenda being expressed through media. It first started out in publication, it then went into general media through film and television, and what it did was it was changing an understanding of what is right and good from a world's perspective such that it becomes normative to have same gender relationship and ultimately marriage. Such that you turn on just about any program on the TV today and it will reference it in some form. That was intentional to change what normal is. It's not just a setting on the dryer. <laughs> then there was a, an intentional work within civil law to change the law. And they went from it being a discrimination or a, uh, an issue uh, to discrimination such that they could make it a civil rights issue. 
Um, and I was listening to this person from the Gay Agenda explaining their whole program from the beginning all the way through, and this was before it became effective. And they said, anybody who's ever been divorced understands that marriage is about property rights. That's what they said. They said, this is an issue of civil law. There is nothing more. And what I'm going to tell you is that no, it is not. The civil law aspect is one small component that the world recognizes. That what marriage is, is it's an institution that was designed by God for our good. And that that's what's being talked about here. He's saying marriage is to be held in honor among all. This is one of the foundational pieces of society that God created. That's why you read about it in the very first pages of the Bible. Foundationally important, he's saying, this needs to be held in honor among all, and that's how we should look out at the world. We should look out at the world as God designed it to be, not as the world claims that it is. It's foundational. He says um, that if you're outside of that, what God created and how he designed it, God will judge it. What judgment means, what justice is, is returning things to the right, the way that they're supposed to be. Um, and the process of justice is often painful, especially if you're a beloved son, because it will show up as discipline and it will be hard because it's intended to be corrective. And so nobody wants to end up on that end of the stick, right? And he's saying, make sure that you keep yourself first with this understanding of God's design and, and construction of his economy such that um, you don't find yourself under judgment. Not judgment uh, condemning you to death for eternity, but judgment to correct you to get you straightened out. He says, make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. So what does that mean to be content? Anybody want to venture a guess? What does it mean to be content? Live within your means. Pardon? Satisfied. Realizing that God has provided everything you need for what he wants you to do. Has to do with the longing of the heart. I wrote down here my margin: wanting what you have, not having what you want. <laughs> so it's a desire of the heart that you desire that which God has completely uh, provided for you. That that's the desire of your heart. That's content. It's a good thing. Remember. Um, as he goes on to, to say, um, being content with what you have, for he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? This is especially important today, because the reason I'm here this morning and not in Atlanta is because our government shut down. Right? <laughs> And uh, people that aren't directly working for the government haven't really felt the full impact of that yet. But there are a lot of people that came into work on Tuesday morning and were instructed to go home. And it is actually illegal for them to 
to go to work. And the reason why is because by them crossing over the threshold of their office space or using their BlackBerry or checking their email, they're obligating the government to pay them. And you cannot obligate the government. It's a rule. Uh, it's a law. And so people go to jail over obligating the government. And I know this because I had to take fiscal law. Um, so if they would have commanded me to go home, I would have had no choice. It doesn't matter if life and limb are on the line. I would be breaking the law. Now, if life and limb are on the line, then I have to make a different kind of decision. But that's what's going on right now. And what I'll tell you is that less than two weeks from now, we're going to come up to the next uh, test of this, which the government will probably still be shut down in two weeks, because it doesn't seem like they're moving from that. But we're going to come up to the debt ceiling. And the debt ceiling uh, affects the government's ability to borrow. And when we hit that limit, and they can't go beyond it, the Treasury will not be able to make payments, and they are required by law to make payments in a certain order to bondholders, to entitlement programs like Social Security, Medicare, uh, those types of things. Way down on the bottom of that is, uh, is non-entitlement type funding, uh, which is a very small part of the government. Most people don't realize what they're arguing over right now is non-discretionary or discretionary funding, not non-discretionary, and that they have the ability to trim how much uh, the Army spends on missiles, because that's discretionary. But they don't have the ability to trim how much is paid out in Social Security or how much is paid out to bonds. What that means is that about 80% of, of the budget today is dictated as non-discretionary funding. They have to have uh, ability to fund this uh, entitlement or obligation, and that come up the 17th of October, they will be unable to do that. They will not be able to meet their obligation, and it has a very significant uh, impact. It means that um, it's not just a lowering of a credit rating, because that's what they'll say. They'll say, well, we get bad credit, you know, and people won't want to do business with us, and it'll cost us more money. Those things are all true, but it will actually have a very significant impact on how financial systems work globally because we will be in default. And when that occurs, all bets are off. Things can deteriorate really quickly. And I don't know if you've heard any of uh, some of the, the experts that aren't shouting at the top of their lungs, but there are people that really truly understand what's going on. And they're saying, this is really, really scary. And what's occurring right now is that I believe some good people are trying to take some corrective action for things that have gotten totally out of hand. And then there are others that are using this as a, a form of brinksmanship to take us right to the edge so that they can accomplish some other agenda, right? There are things that are really, really wrong in the world today. And even if we don't go over that edge on the 17th of October, what's really wrong doesn't go away. And people are going to start being hurt by this in very significant ways. That's what's coming up. And it's pretty much, you can't avoid it. It's going to happen. And I'm one of these that's on the front line, so I'm going to be hurt. And there are others in this room that are going to be hurt. Pretty much everybody in some, in some way is going to feel this. I recognized it when I was in Russia back in the, the late 90s. Um, they were going through a depression. 
And one thing I came to understand, and everybody I talked to, regardless of what strata of society they came from, everybody had a story of suffering. That's what's coming, a story of suffering. When that happens, you need to know this. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? So I just painted a, a bleak picture because I want you to clearly understand that in the bleakest picture that you can paint in this world, the Lord is with you. And he goes on to say, he says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. That's why we start out with Psalm 102. It's uh, about a person in suffering that's crying out for the mercy of God. And the second half of that psalm is all about the praise of God, who he is, and how he doesn't change, how he is there forever. That's what we need to know. He, he, uh, he tucks within this that as um, you're, you're learning how to walk, how now shall we live? Um, I have a, a model for teaching which says that first you get instruction. You read the, you read the instructions. Second, you watch somebody who is an expert do it, right? Third, you do it with coaching. And fourth, you teach it. So eventually all you guys are going to be up here teaching, right? <laughs> so right now what I'm doing is I'm doing step number one and two. I'm giving you the instruction and I'm modeling for you how to do it. At some point, somebody will step up here and they'll do it with coaching. And ultimately, they'll be the teacher teaching the, the coaches and instructing and, and modeling. And that's how it works. And what he's saying here, he says, Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. He's telling you to engage in a learning model. If you're trying to learn how to walk as a Christian, look at those that really model it well. Right? Those are your leaders. And I'm not claiming that um, someone who is appointed to a leadership role is necessarily a leader. Because what you'll find is there are people that are leaders in this church that have no leadership role. Those are the people that, that you want to draw near to. You want to ask them, how do, how do you do that? How do you walk when the whole world is falling apart around you? How do you go through... Um, the death of a family member or the dissolution of a marriage or the loss of a, a significant loss in life through accident or misfortune or just, you know, the course of things, your own, own actions, right? What do you do? Well, you remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you and considering the results of their conduct, imitate their faith. Don't be carried away with varied and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods. What he's talking about there is, you remember we had this whole exposition on the role of the high priest and the cultic system and, and all of that is talking about how sacrifice is made and how they would do all these different rituals that were intended to point us to Christ. But some people got caught up in the ritual. And this is what he has to say about the ritual. He says, uh, it's good to be, uh, for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods or ritual, through which those who were so occupied were not benefited. It doesn't benefit you to be religious 
without the focus, without your eyes on Christ. If that's not what your religious practice, your ritual is about, it's of no benefit to you. There isn't any religion in the world that by practice will benefit you. The only thing that benefits you is the grace of God. That's where you want to draw near. He says, we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. In other words, he's comparing this old cultic system and all of the trappings where the high priest would inter- intervene before, uh, between the people and God. He's saying, we have direct access to God. He told us that in chapter 4. He said, we can come before the very throne of, of grace itself to bring our petition. We no longer are separated. So we have an altar from which no religion can touch. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Let me explain that a little bit. How are we doing on time? So, what, the way that the... the Um, the sacrifice would work is that they couldn't take the body that was not uh, useful in the atonement process um, and uh, keep that inside the camp. They had to take it out to the dump, which was outside of the gates of the city. Um, And it has to do with, there were certain sacrifices that um, you know, I call it a hoedown, you know, where you have the, the big party, first there's the, uh, the presentation of the sacrifice to God, but then that, uh, that sacrifice is basically given back to the people. It's, it's a meal. It's given to the priests and for their sustenance, and then there's uh, a portion even that the people would enjoy. It's like a big barbecue, right? And we could, we could talk more about that, but I'm just giving you a, a way of looking at it today. Um, such that it was a celebration of God and his, his, uh, his work on our behalf, and we're thankful for that. So we would be thankful, we'd express our gratitude, and we benefit in that. But there's a portion of the sacrifice that was for sin that was unclean, and they had to take it outside of the city, and it could not be part of that celebration. That's what he's talking about here saying the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. Now, what does that tell us about what God is going to do? Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. And I kind of wish I'd have brought my computer this morning because I could show you a model of the, the city where Jesus was taken out the uh, a western gate and outside of that gate of the city and outside of the wall in that day um, was uh, a outcropping of rocks and uh, it kind of looked they called it the place of the skull and it was a place of uh, punishment where uh, a criminal was executed by the state 
and the, the Jews said, you can't do this inside the city gate, so you've got to do it outside because you'll make us unclean if you do it this way. So you can use that outcropping of rocks. And that was the place of, of Calvary where Christ was crucified. And um, that's what he did for us. That the sacrifice that atoned for our blood, he uh, took on the full shame of all humanity. So um, the difference between guilt and shame, he took our guilt and he took our shame. The difference between guilt and shame is that guilt is when you have a feeling because you've done something wrong. Shame is when you have a, a negative feeling because of who you are. What I can tell you about sin is it's not just about what you do, but it's about the corruption of sin that totally darkens your heart. It's who you are. Christ took our guilt and our shame. He was sacrificed outside the, the city gate, outside the wall, for us to bear our guilt and our shame, such that we could be joined in communion with God the Father, so that that... that curtain could be torn. Yes? Uh, well, this is probably going to mess us up. But That's okay. I'm trying to use your, your analogy of taking you know, the part that you can't use outside the camp and even burn it. I didn't realize that. Of course, Christ was sacrificed outside the city, too. Yep. So, interesting analogy. I never really heard that before. So, the body but then, was outside. Why do we celebrate where we partake of his body. Um, so, and yet, mm-hmm. if he's our sin sacrifice, right. we should not be partaking of that. Right. So the body was destroyed for our redemption, but it was raised for our life. Oh, good point. So that means we can partake after he because he's not dead. So what so so Peter Peter being a good Jew really struggled with this. It's like, okay, God, what is this all about? So Peter in his struggle decides, I'm gonna go live with the guy that deals with dead bodies all the time. I'm gonna go to a tanner. Right? And he's hanging out with the tanner and he has a vision where a sheet comes down and God says, You know, you're hungry, get up, eat and kill or kill and eat and uh, and Peter says, no way. I am a good religious Jew. I would never do that. And God said, what I have declared clean, don't you declare unclean. Who's God here and who is man? What is really clean and what is really unclean? And what I can say is, is that the, the offering of Jesus in atonement was offered not on the, uh, the horns of the mercy seat, the, the seat of the, or the top of the Ark of the Covenant, with the cherubim on top. But it was actually presented before the Father in Heaven, in the most holy place, the Holy of Holies, while His body was being destroyed for our sin outside the camp. But when He was raised, He went into the people. What we celebrate as Protestants in communion is not the transformation of the bread into the body, but the remembrance of what Christ did for us. 
So it is a where we are celebrating that communion that we have that was brought through Christ's sacrifice. Does that help? Again, we can struggle with, well, the body is unclean, is the body unclean? So we get into Greek division of matter is evil and only the spiritual is good and so the two can't meet so you have to have this kind of emanation thing going on and leads to Gnosticism and all sorts of really weird belief systems trying to reconcile how our understanding of reality works and God's saying no it isn't your understanding of reality what I can tell you of what God says here is that this is an expression of what he was doing for us Let's move on. Sure. Sure. Okay. (laughs) I got five minutes. So therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. So let us go to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here do we we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. So our eyes are on Jesus. Our eyes are on his home in heaven. But he says, you go outside the... The, the gate, right? It says for um, let us go to him outside the camp. Christ came to the world to save us, to save us, right? So let us go to him outside the camp into the world. So what this drawing is is how do we as the church as Christians? So if we're living generously with compassion and morally. How do we go into the world? This is a really important question. Because some would say, we don't go into the world. We remain separate. We are separated from the world in Christ. Therefore, we have no part of the world. Another group would say, no, we need to be totally in the world. Such that the world can't distinguish between us and uh, that which is of God or, or us in the world it can't distinguish between God and, um, and his working and the world and its working and so in this movement here the world would say God is dead and the Christian would say yeah but you know I still like to practice this ritual right so it's, it's a kind of enmeshment it's a brokenness where there isn't a separation in fact, there's almost there's not a separation at all, such that you're totally enmeshed. You can't distinguish um, the Christian from the world. Then there are those who would say, "No, um, Christ is over the world." And so you see this in ministries, and I'm going to pick on one, and don't shoot me dead for this, because I'll explain <laughs> it later. Um, take, for example, focus on the family. Their agenda is like I explained to you the J agenda, the gay agenda earlier where they want to change civil law. That was the whole point of that agenda, was to bring about a change in normal and a change in law. That's what that ministry is about. If you look at how they go about their outreach, they're about trying to maintain an understanding of normal in marriage and maintaining a law in marriage, as if that law could determine what marriage is. Now, there's a lot of really good things in that ministry, okay? But what I'll tell you is that the model is, is that Christ is above culture. And that is, uh, in many ways, oppressive. Just as any kind of 
nationalism is oppressive because you have two different classes. And people that are in this class say, I don't want to be a part of this class. Right? Because there's, there's, a, there's a kind of separation that's caused by Christ being over culture, trying to determine what law is that others have to conform to, or determine what normal, normal is. How did Christ actually behave? He behaved by being together with. He was not affected inside by what the world was. Rather, who he was affected the world. He could go into a bar and not be defiled by it. So he hung out with prostitutes and drunkards. Because it didn't change who he was. But who he was going into that place changed who they were. That's why Jesus could touch the leper. Because by the rule of the day, you touch the leper, that uncleanness would pass to you. Jesus would have become unclean. But he said, no, that isn't really how it works. I am together with the world. I'm here to save the world. I'm going to touch the leper, and the who I am is going to change who you are. So it's a model of not being separate, not being enmeshed and non-distinguishable, not being over, but being together with. That's how we relate to the world. Yes? Wow. Okay, so, I mean, how do we do that? I mean, okay, so I wouldn't advise myself Let us go out. to go all the bars. <laughs> no. I mean, okay, so yeah. it's... I mean, he was God, okay? Mm -hmm. here's, here's the important point. I'm not. <laughs> you got to have open eyes. If you look at the bulk of this uh, exhortation as he's sending us out, because he finishes here with, so let us go out, right? Let us go out, outside the camp, bearing his reproach. And then he talks about the kind of obedience that we're going to have. Do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. So he, he goes into that. But if you look at the bulk of this exposition, most of it has to do with morality. Most of it has to do with having our compass right. Having a compass that is generous, compassionate, and moral. If we don't have our compass right, we can't go. Um, and I don't go hang out in bars and uh, evangelize. Because part of my failure was substance abuse. So I'm not going to go into a bar and hit all of those things that I may not even be thinking of. I mean, we get triggered in a lot of different ways. But I'll go down to the transit mall and I'll walk and talk with these guys outside the bar. Um, because I know all I have to do is jump on the max and I can go to a different place if I get in trouble. Right? Um, so I'm cautious because my eyes have been opened and I want to make sure that I'm able to remain generous, compassionate, and moral in the midst. Were you raising No, okay. Um, so that, that takes us up to the end. So I will read them through. Uh, knowing how we are supposed to live, let's uh, talk about the final piece, which is submission. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. 
And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a good conscience, desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. And I urge you all the more to do this, so that I may be restored to you the sooner. So, his, his final benediction, and this is where I'll just read it and we'll pray. Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we just thank you for um, thank you for your word, for your instruction, for um, teaching us in a corrective way through your word so that we can have the right kind of heart the right kind of thoughts and Lord uh, we know that we need training in that that we need to observe those who do this so well uh, before us and I'm sure if we ask them uh, they would not claim that they do it well that they struggle to but Lord they've struggled longer and uh, maybe more valiantly than we so thank you for providing those models for us Lord, as, uh, as we move through this life, we ask that you would provide the right kind of leaders for us, the people that can truly be good coaches in living uh, with this kind of heart that is generous, that is uh, hospitable, that is moral. Lord, help us to be that way and give us good leaders that train us up to be that way. And Lord, help us and protect us as we go out from here as we go outside the gate, outside the, the safe place to the place that you actually suffered and died for. Lord, we, you didn't save us just to, just to be here, but to actually go out and be your hands and feet in the world as you continue to save others. Lord, we thank you for this. We ask that you protect us. We thank you for your provision for us. And we thank you so much for your service for us, Lord. We ask this in your name and praise you, Lord Jesus. Amen.